Has FMCSA finally got hours of service right? I'm Jim Park. This is HDT Talks Trucking, Episode 4, Season 6. The most recent update to the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration's hours of service regulations went live on September 29, 2020. They were two years in the making, and the changes came only after years of drivers asking for a bit more flexibility in how they manage their time. The agency revised the 30-minute break rule, it loosened up the sleeper berth exception, it introduced changes to the adverse driving conditions exception, and it expanded the short haul exemption. For the most part, fleets and drivers say they're happy with the changes. Did FMCSA get it right this time? We'll find out right after this. This episode is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange, a networking event where fleet managers and suppliers connect and collaborate. HDTX 2021 takes place August 25th through August 27th at the Scottsdale McCormick Ranch in Scottsdale, Arizona. Visit heavydutytruckingexchange.com to learn more. We have two guests on this episode of the podcast to help us deconstruct the recent changes to the hours of service rules. We've got Chris Woody. He's the safety manager of M&W Logistics in Nashville, Tennessee. He was also one of HDT's fleet innovators in 2020, and he's featured in the Fleet Innovators podcast from season three. Uh, Hi, Chris, and welcome back to HDT Talks Trucking. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it is. Thank you very much. I'm very glad to be back. And we have Jared Childress of Childress Law, PLLC, and TruckSafe Consulting. That's a one-stop shop for everything you need to know about DOT compliance. Uh, Jared, thanks for bringing your expertise to the podcast. I'm glad you could join us. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me. Well, we, we want to dig into uh, some of the revisions that FMCSA allowed uh, truck drivers and the hours of service rules last year. I thought we should review the impact of those changes. Are they delivering the flexibility that drivers and carriers were hoping for? Chris, let's start with you. Yeah, I, I think so. I think they did a pretty good job of of listening and, and addressing things. And from, from what we see, they're, uh, they're delivering as intended. How about you, Jared? Do you think FMCSA got it right this time? I do. Uh, The FMCSA was seeking to provide some additional flexibility, and I think they delivered on their changes to the short haul, 30-minute rest break, sleeper berth and off-duty time, and then the adverse weather flexibility. Well, let's start with the split sleeper provision. Drivers have been asking for the additional flexibility for their sleeper berth time for quite some time now. Uh, Jared, can you explain how the new rules work? Sure. This is one that Seems complex, uh, but it's really not. It's a simple formula and it allows, just like you said, sleeper berth flexibility. So it allows a driver to split the required 10 hours off as long as one of those off-duty periods is at least two hours and that can be in or out of the sleeper berth. And the other one is at least seven hours and must be in the sleeper berth continuously. And those segments must total 10 hours. And we're going to talk about the 30 minute the 30 minute break changes a little bit as well but it's possible that if a driver is is crafty in how he uses he or she uses these uh, splits that the 30 minute break can also be satisfied um, in this two hour segment so nailing two birds with one stone precisely okay now the two hours uh, that have to be taken minimum of two out of the sleeper. How does that work? Do you still log it as sleeper time or can you log it as off duty? 
you could log that as off duty if it if it's not in the sleeper berth continuously you'd log that as off duty um, and that could be at a shipper or a receiver um, if that is time that you know is going to be at least a two-hour segment okay well let's start with one of the one of the big ones the ability i guess to split sleeper time without being penalized in driving time after the fact chris how's that working out for uh, for your drivers that's that's working out a lot better. It's um, it, it's allowing the drivers to get a little bit closer to what they wanted uh, with the uh, pausing the fourteen hour clock. And you know, as long as we take a at least a two hour break, uh, we're able to do that. And uh, I, I I think we're getting closer to that point where uh, drivers can uh, take some responsibility for their own uh, uh, safety and. Uh, feel okay about pulling over and and getting a little bit of rest when they need some rest and not when they're told to get some rest. And um, um, that was the big gripe, right? That that they were being forced into a a small time constraint. And so um, now they have some flexibility to do that and it's, it's working much better. And Jared, what are your motor carrier clients saying to you about this newfound flexibility? Um, I, I've not heard a whole lot of feedback related to the sleeper berth. Um, I think it's being used, obviously, uh, the long haul truck drivers are going to be tapping into the sleeper berth provision, um, very frequently. And I'm sure that they are at this point. I haven't heard a lot of difficulties with this. It does seem pretty straightforward. And I think that the industry is, is taking advantage of it as well. Chris, has this opened up any opportunities for you from a dispatching or operational point of view? Has it affected the way you dispatch your trucks at all? Uh, we've tried to to stay away from looking at it too much like that. Um, I, I, some of the the fear I think that maybe FMCSA has or the um, or, or anybody who might be on the other side of this would, would say there is some opportunity for uh, carriers to take advantage of these rules and, uh, and ask drivers to, uh, to shut down for two or three hours and then get right back up and then go, uh, which was exactly what we were trying to combat in the first place was being forced into a little box of when you're, when you're going to sleep. So for right now, what we've tried to do is, is leave that in the driver's hands and, uh, let them use that to their advantage. Um, I, I think we're, we're getting into some dangerous territory when um, when carriers try to use it to their advantage. Let's talk about the thirty minute break then. That that caused some grief uh, for a while. Yeah, some, you know, lack of understanding of when they had to do it or what they had to do. And of course, there were the drivers who took like a twenty nine and a half minute break. <laughs> we all know ELDs yeah. record to the second, so I mean, it wasn't a matter of just kind of averaging out your time there. Chris, has, have the changes made any improvements there and how you operate or how the drivers operate? Yeah, they have. I mean, it, it, it's, it's really loosened everything up uh, quite a bit for the driver and taken some, uh, some pressure off of them. Um, I, I don't think everybody always talks about the, the amount of stress that the hours of service causes drivers. And, and they're, they've, they've constantly got three or four clocks ticking down in their head. And, uh, in that 30 minute break was a really, uh, it was a real nuisance. Um, and, and I myself am a, a big proponent of a break from driving. Um, and I think it just took FMCSA 
a while to, or DOT a while to, to come around to that, that that's what they need the break from is from driving. And, um, once they came to that realization, they, they, they saw that, um, that it works much better. Um, and no driver, no driver is going to be forced to, uh, actually rest on a rest break. We, we can't do that. Um, so, um, making it more reasonable, uh, took some pressure off the drivers and I, I think they're just generally more rested anyway from not having to worry about going off duty for 30 minutes. Yeah. That, that in itself was causing stress, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Like you yeah. said, if they're, uh, you know, heading for a customer, um, who's closing, you know, at a certain time of day, they've got a deadline there. 30 minutes can make the difference whether they load today or tomorrow. For sure. Yeah. For sure. I, I think it's, it's, it's a, it's a much more reasonable approach. Um, and that's, that's why, um, I think it's been successful and it, it, it's just my hunch, but I think once the inevitable studies are done, uh, on what the impact of these, these new rules are, um, uh, I, I would be shocked if there is, is any, um, decrease in overall safety. Uh, my, my hunch is that, uh, that we're actually going to do better with these more flexible rules. Jared, can you tell us how the 30-minute break rule has changed with this uh, most recent revision? Yeah, this is one that I think a lot of fleets are tapping into and drivers are probably enjoying the flexibility on. Um, So under the previous rule, uh, a 30-minute break had to be taken prior to a driver reaching eight hours of on-duty time. And currently, the, the, the updated rule is such that um, a driver has to take that 30 minute break before reaching eight hours of driving time. So that drive time could be segments combined uh, to reach a total of eight hours. But the the big thing that I like about this 30 minute break requirement um, that's been updated is uh, this can be, it doesn't have to be strictly off duty time as it used to be off duty or sleeper birth time. So now a driver can take his 30 minute break and satisfy that 30 minute break by off-duty time or sleeper birth time, of course, but also they can engage in those on-duty not driving items such as, you know, getting fuel. That's probably the biggest one, uh, grabbing food, hitting the restroom, or just going for a walk. So this is one that gives drivers a lot of additional flexibility. Well, speaking of flexibility, uh, you said a few minutes ago that we could actually work the 30-minute break into the split sleeper time. How does that work? Sure. Say a driver is um, has driven several hours uh, in the day and is at the receiver. Um, they get to the receiver, they drop their load, and they are going to be dropping and hooking another load. And they know that they're going to have at least two hours um, to to sit and wait to take that next load. Um, they'll be able to go into an off-duty status and satisfy both the 30-minute break and also that two-hour minimum segment um, to the extent that they would be able to remain off-duty for that full two-hour period. I would think so. And now, especially with the uh, being able to include on-duty not driving time in that 30 minutes, uh, it, it basically means they don't have to sit idle twiddling their thumbs for half an hour before they can start up and get going again. Absolutely. And another thing to consider here is is a lot of short haul fleets in particular, drivers are doing a lot more on duty time than they are driving time. So some of these drivers that I've looked at, uh, some of these fleets that I've looked at, um, they're, a lot of their drivers are not even getting eight hours of drive time in a day. 
So in, in that instance, the 30-minute break doesn't necessarily come into play. We're speaking with Jared Childress of Childress Law and Truck Safe Consulting, along with Chris Woody, the safety manager of MW Logistics in Nashville, Tennessee. We're going to take a short break here, but when we come back, we're going to dive into the changes to the short haul exemption and the adverse driving conditions provisions. I'm Jim Park. This is HTT Talks Trucking. We'll be right back. HTT Talks Trucking is brought to you by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange, a relationship-building event hosted by Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine. HDTX is loaded with topical discussions and learning opportunities with some of the most innovative people in this business. HDTX 2021 takes place August 25th through August 27th at the Scottsdale McCormick Ranch in Scottsdale, Arizona. Managers of Class 7 and 8 fleets apply now to be our guest at HDTX 2021. Visit HeavyDutyTruckingExchange.com. We're back with Chris Woody and Jared Childress. Uh, So far on the podcast, we've covered changes to the 30-minute break rule and the split sleeper provision. Uh, Before we get to adverse driving, FMCSA has also made some changes to the uh, rules for short-haul drivers. Jared, can you explain what's changed and how some of those changes are affecting the way fleets do business? Yeah, so the short-haul updates, in my opinion, are are probably the best outcome of this hours of service update, and it, it really creates a great situation for those motor carriers that rely on the short-haul exemption for their operations and really use it on a day-to-day basis. Um, what, what these updates really do is harmonize the CDL short-haul rules with the non-CDL rules, meaning drivers can now drive out Uh, CDL drivers can now drive out to 150 air miles and use a 14-hour on-duty window to complete their work in a day. Um, In in kind of walking through this, the FMCSA has published an example of a carrier that's based in Peoria, Illinois. Um, Take this fictitious carrier, for example. um, Under the prior rules, a CDL driver would not be able to service um, Chicago and St. Louis uh, from Peoria because they're restricted to that 100 air mile radius. But under the new rules, that that, dry, that uh, motor carrier based in Peoria can now you know have access to the Chicago markets and the St. Louis markets as well. And those drivers can not only have the 150 air mile radius, but they also get the 14 hours on duty. Because like, like we talked about before, a lot of these short haul drivers are doing a lot more on duty tasks than they are driving. So uh, that that was a great example that really puts us into perspective, and you could probably pick any number of additional cities like that and and apply this example out. So, in order to comply with the new provisions of the uh, short haul, do the do the carriers need to be running ELDs? Um, no, they don't, because the short haul exemption is one of those limited situations where the truck does not have to have an ELD those drivers would be running on time cards when they're operating within the confines of the short haul exemption. And the thing that carriers really have to watch out for is situations where a driver would exceed the short haul uh, confines. So if a driver exceeds 150 air mile radius, that driver needs to be running paper logs for that day. And then to take that one step further, in the instance where a driver may in any 30-day rolling period of time, so not necessarily a calendar 30 days, but any rolling 30-day period, anytime a driver exceeds the short haul confines and has to run on paper, 
for more than eight days in that 30-day period, then that truck would have to have an ELD. So that's something that these short-haul uh, carriers really have to watch out for. And I've seen situations where motor carriers that are frequently um, using the short-haul exemption and they rely on that for their business model, they'll still put ELDs on these commercial motor vehicles because they want to take advantage of the telematics benefits. They want to be able to have that log built um, in the background while these drivers are running short haul. Yeah, it seems to me it's just simpler and cleaner uh, and neater if you've got the ELD there, even if you don't necessarily need it. Sure, it's a fantastic resource for a number of reasons. Um, One thing to watch out for is to make sure that the device is actually running in an exempt status um, when you're actually using short haul. Um, Another thing to be very clear on is drivers need to understand that they're operating on short haul because if they're pulled over at roadside, obviously enforcement's gonna pop their head in and see an ELD. They're gonna wanna see logs. Um, It's difficult uh, in a situation where a driver may be flustered by enforcement uh, properly explaining, you know, short haul exemption and that they're operating on it and that the ELD is just there for telematics purposes, et cetera, et cetera. So one of the things that I do for my clients occasionally is draft just kind of a one page letter that explains um, this driver's a short haul driver. The ELD is here for telematics purposes, the time cards on file with the motor carrier, and then just shove that in the glove box. And the driver can present that to enforcement with a contact at the motor carrier should the enforcement officer have questions. That's that's a very helpful exercise to go through. Yeah, I can understand that. It certainly would be. Let's flip that around the other way. Uh, the truck does not have an ELD inside of it. Uh, the enforcement officer pokes his head in the window and doesn't see an ELD. Uh, How is the driver to explain to the officer that he's running short haul? Is that going to be accepted at face value or is there has to be some documentation to prove that? Well, that's a situation where I think the explanation would be a little easier. um, And the driver would then just be able to present some kind of a bill of lading or um, provide documentation related to his terminal, his or her terminal that they operate from. And then enforcement would be able to, you know, quickly determine whether or not this driver's realistically operating on the short haul exemption. Okay. So that's three of the four changes sorted out. Let's now dig into adverse driving, the fourth one. Jared, what's the ultimate impact of those changes to adverse driving and how will they affect fleets and drivers? So the adverse driving conditions change actually extended the time that a driver can use the adverse driving conditions. So they can drive under adverse weather, adverse conditions for an additional two hours. So that will extend the driving window from 11 to 13. Um, The updates really just kind of Um, made the definition of what adverse driving conditions are a little bit simpler. um, And it clarified the responsibilities of the driver and the motor carrier. So um, under the new uh, regulation, uh, adverse driving conditions means snow, ice, sleet, fog, weather conditions, or unusual road traffic and conditions that were not known or could not reasonably be known to the driver or the motor carrier. Um, And so with the driver, if the driver couldn't know about these conditions immediately prior to beginning the duty day or immediately before beginning that driving segment, 
um, then potentially adverse driving conditions could apply there. And the motor carrier, if the motor carrier didn't know immediately prior to dispatching the driver, then those adverse driving conditions could potentially be used. Um, some examples of acceptable adverse events would be potentially a surprise traffic jam that was the result of an accident or maybe an unknown weather event like high winds or ice, something that wasn't necessarily in the forecast that occurred that really impacted driving conditions adversely. Chris, before we started recording, you were telling me that the changes were good and that drivers like it, but you said there were still some issues to be overcome. Uh, what still needs to happen? I think what what we see from our drivers is the problem is that um, it, it's not quite real to them. There, there there's no button on the uh, on the ELDs to uh, indicate that they're taking this exception. Uh, there's no adjustment to their clock when they take this exception, and um, and and there are reasons for that, and and perfectly understandable reasons. However. We, when we're dealing with real life and we're dealing with a driver going down the road and I tell a driver, hey, just make a remark on your log that you were delayed an hour and a half at this mile marker on this interstate because of an accident and everything will be okay. And they see their clock go negative and it's screaming at them that they're in violation. It, it's still quite disconcerting to them. And um, in many drivers' previous experience with inspectors, uh, they, they're just really very unsure of it. So what we would love to see on the traffic and weather exemptions is, uh, is FMCSA, uh, first of all, putting out something to the drivers and, and just explaining to them that a, an annotation on their log is sufficient. So they're hearing it from somebody else besides their carrier. Um, and the other thing we'd like to see is the, the ELD manufacturers at least giving them some indication um, that that they are working under this exception right now, uh, just so they see it kind of in black and white, and it, it's something they could show to an inspector, and, and just something to make a little bit more real. If we could get a little help from the ELD manufacturers uh, and the and the government on on letting the drivers have some sort of indication they're under that exception, that would really help. Well, I guess if the the inspector is looking at the log. And they see that the driver's gone over by, you know, an hour, hour and a half, whatever the number is. They could probably track back on the log to a point where they could see the truck was traveling slowly as opposed to yes. going at 60 miles an hour. Is there any requirement that the driver be able to prove that they were tied up in a traffic jam or some weather related issue? Uh, you know, like kind of like a, yeah. having a receipt when you get fueled, you, you always want right. proof of something. So. Is this, does this require proof in any way to, uh, to put in? That, that has not been indicated to us. I, I, I haven't seen any, anything where proof is indicated. From what we understand from um, our, our local uh, federal motor carriers representative as well as from uh, Highway Patrol, what they're going to look at is, is, first of all, just exactly what, what you said. Um, you know, they, they see that uh, this driver has traveled three miles and it took them an hour and a half to do those three miles. Um, what they have indicated to us that they want to see on the annotation on the log uh, is being fairly specific what it was. A, a freak snowstorm or 
a uh, an, an accident, and let's let, I've been instructing drivers to be very very specific on this, so it could be cross checked by that inspector. Uh, give them a mile marker. Uh, give them you know how long you were delayed, and uh, let them know exactly where you were and what it was. I, I, what has been indicated to us from uh, Highway Patrol is the more specific you can be, and the easier that you can make it for that inspector. Uh, to verify and understand, uh, the the better the better you're going to be. So, from a driver's point of view, then uh, they have their ELD. Um, they know they're running close to the uh, end of the driving shift. They run into a traffic problem. Uh, Jared, can they make note of that on the ELD, or does the ELD itself? And this probably varies from device to device. But uh, can the driver denote what's happening on the device so that? Uh, Next time they get inspected, or maybe indeed three or four months from now during an audit, uh, what they did is explainable and understood? Yeah, if the driver is unable to get off the road safely prior to the 11 hours expiring, um, then I would recommend that a process be set up with the motor carrier how that driver can enter into adverse driving conditions. Um, I think that just providing uh, the ability with no guidance to enter into adverse driving conditions is a recipe for dealing with problems down the road for a motor carrier. Um, but the ELD will present in different ways um, the option to use exemptions and adverse driving conditions. You know, I've seen ELDs when a driver's getting close to that 11 hours of drive time. Um, I've seen devices that pop up options for using exemptions and adverse driving uh, potentially, and, and it kind of creates a little bit of a temptation for a driver to say, uh, yeah, I need to get this load delivered. Let's go ahead and select adverse driving conditions, even though it doesn't necessarily apply. Uh, that's a big danger for drivers, and it's a bit of a uh, compliance carrot dangling above their head there. But I think that if you're si- a motor carrier really needs to understand how their system presents those those issues, those exemptions, and and if it's presenting that carrot to the driver, then a motor carrier should be very cautious about monitoring the use of exemptions or adverse driving conditions uh, and make sure that they're monitoring that proactively. So it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, have you seen any evidence so far that inspectors are questioning the use of this exemption? We haven't. Um, we, we have used this exemption a few times. The... Uh, the weather here in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, over the last uh, several weeks has been very, very bizarre, gone from snow to ice to floods to tornadoes, and uh, we've, had to, <laughs> we've had to use this, um, and we have had some logs transferred electronically, and, um, and, and which makes it nice for those inspectors to see those remarks right on the log in the right place. Uh, we have had no violations or 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 no questions about uh, what we've done so far. So, um, as far as we can tell, it really does work. Um, we just we just want to make our drivers feel better. Hmm. Well, there's there's some talk, some rumblings out there now that the uh, the Biden administration might be taking another look at some of these uh, some of these changes, maybe reverting back in a few cases. Would you support a move like that, or are you worried that the uh, that that might happen? Um, I, I would not support moving backwards from where we are right now. No, I I, I think we've we've taken a positive step in the right direction. 
Um, and I still think there are a few other things that we can do. Um, I, I do support always evaluating things and, um, and taking an honest look at it. Uh, no matter what our uh, feelings or sensibilities are, we've, we've got to uh, face facts and uh, let's take a look at the safety numbers and let's see if the direction that we're going um, makes sense. Final word goes to you, Jared. How likely do you think it is that we'll see these apparently popular changes rolled back? Uh, there's certainly that possibility, but keep in mind, uh, just getting these hours of service changes in place took a, took around two years. And so unwinding these rules would certainly be a heavy lift, and it would involve an extended period of time. You know, I'd be really surprised if the agency took this approach, as they have plenty of other things on their agenda. Um, you know, on that note, we really hope to see um, a new administrator put in place sooner rather than later, and, and hopefully that they can start driving the train on these issues. We've been talking about the most recent changes to the hours of service regulations with Chris Woody and Jared Childress. Chris is a safety manager at M&W Logistics in Nashville, and Jared is a transportation attorney and consultant with Childress Law and TruckSafe Consulting. Thanks to you both. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me. Hey, great to talk to you too, Jim. Thanks for having me. HTT Talks Trucking is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange. HTTX is a networking event for fleets and suppliers that opens doors to long and beneficial business relationships. Join us August 25th through August 27th in Scottsdale, Arizona for HTTX 2021. To view this year's agenda and apply to be our guest at HTTX 2021, visit heavydutytruckingexchange.com. Hope you're enjoying Season 6 of HGT Talks Trucking. Check out some of our other new episodes, including a look ahead at the commercialization of electric trucks and a deep dive into after-treatment system maintenance. If you like what you hear on HGT Talks Trucking, help us grow our audience by spreading the word on social media and give us a rating and a review if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. If there's something you'd like us to cover on the podcast, please email me at jpark at truckinginfo.com. HTT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording and audio production by Jim Park. Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine is published by Bobbitt Business Media. I'm Jim Park. Thanks for listening. Thank you.